Good morning, Arbor Church. How are we today? Good. I just wrapped up the school year. I'm feeling a little bit more relaxed today. Once I get through today, I'm heading off to Montana tomorrow, so that's always a good feeling. But I'm excited to be here today. And you know, it is the week of the 4th of July coming up, you know, where we uh, celebrate our freedom by blowing up things, (laughs) by shooting highly explosive devices into the air around our neighborhood and loved ones, and hoping for the best where inevitably somebody tries to time throwing a firecracker just right and mistimes the firecracker throwing, and who knows what danger ensues after that. Uh, Just quickly, when I was growing up in high school, my best friend and I, I you know, confession's good for the soul, but bad for the reputation, and we would buy those little tiny ladyfinger firecrackers. How many know what I'm talking about out there? And we'd drive around town and toss them out the car window, and boom! scare people, innocent bystanders, children. And it was not a good habit, but it was a habit that we did. And as we're driving back home down our country road, we noticed his dad, as we approached their home, standing on the side of the road, weed-eating the ditch, just oblivious to what's going on. And of course, lightning striking the brain, the humor hits us. We like, we should throw the rest of the little lady fingers bland right out the window, right at his feet, and just freak him out. Um, you know, because that just sounded funny to do. So my friend's driving. He's holding the lady little firecrackers here. I'm with the cigarette lighter trying to light them, timing it as we approach stealthily down the road, creeping up on his father. And it lights, and he throws it, and his window was up. <laughs> I'm not saying that we were the brightest of boys. Bounced off the window, landed... Let's just say in the nether regions that he did not want the lip and it started bouncing and going off everywhere and screams ensued. We like were bailing out of the car. He just threw it into neutral. We bailed out of the car. It coasted gently towards the driveway, fell nicely into the ditch just a little bit and we're rolling on the ground. He's pulling his shorts off as you can imagine why, trying to save himself and his dad literally just looks up, looks around shakes his head and just goes right back to weed eating. (laughs) Just like idiots, complete idiots. And if you've raised teenage boys, you've probably been there a few times in your life. That story has absolutely nothing to do with freedom that I'm talking about today, except that we celebrate freedom in this country by blowing things up. And I guess we could say that our Lord and Savior came to give us freedom by blowing things up religiously in the world in which he came to. He did something so explosively off the norm that it shifted the history of humanity moving forward. And that's the freedom I want to talk about today. We're continuing our series of savor. And our theme through this series has been intentionally remembering the good things God has given us intentionally remembering the good things God has given us. And today we're going to look at savoring freedom. And as much as I love a good firecracker and a bottle rocket and a mortar going up into the air, it pales in comparison to the freedom that Christ has given us. The freedom we have in this country pales in comparison to the freedom that Christ has given us. I don't know if there's any stronger desire in the history of man than that of freedom. 
From the epic movie Braveheart and William Wallace's last cry of freedom to the inspiring words of Martin Luther King, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. As we look at this word freedom, what is it that mankind savors about it? Besides the fact that many of us just don't like being told what to do, I think there's a deeper sense inside of mankind and men and women that we want to live in freedom and debt free without having to think we owe people something. And this is what Christ intended for us when he sacrificed his life so that we may be free from the yoke of sin and to live in freedom with him. Yet too often we put the yoke back upon us and re-enter the slavery of sin and this debt from which Christ came to set us free. I want to clarify that as we go through this message today, I'm not trying to justify that in our freedom we can live however we want. That's not the theme of the direction of this message. The scripture clearly states that while all things are, bene- while all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. While all things are permissible, we should be mastered by nothing. This is not about the freedom to live your life as you see fit. There is a holiness that we're called to by Christ. But rather, this is about learning to live in freedom with Christ and not under a banner of religion and rights and legalism that many of us have experienced in our life. Let's pray. God, I pray as we walk through this message today, as we look at this message from Paul to the church in Galatians about freedom, that we would begin to comprehend just the beauty of what this is that you have given us. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that you would speak through me and through your scripture. I pray that we would have ears to hear, hearts to listen, and feet to change the world with what we learn today. In Jesus' name, amen. Our key passage today is found in Galatians 5, verses 1 through 5. We're jumping towards the end of the book. There's a lot of context before this that we'll touch on a little bit through the sermon. But Paul is writing to the Galatians, and here's what he writes. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Now, you may also be thinking, great, this is a sermon on circumcision. That just sounds uplifting and joyful. No. It's an analogy that Paul is using that's relevant to his day and age and context, and we'll walk through that. But the first point I want to give you today that's going to be the overriding theme of our message today is this. Christ's will for us is to enjoy freedom. Christ's will for us is to enjoy freedom. And if there's nothing else you remember today, I want you to walk out of here with that and dig into that on your own and see what that means in your own life. Oftentimes, I know that I can get bogged down in the mire of day-to-day decisions. What job should I take? Am I doing my job well? Maybe you do the same. And you think, how am I going to pay this bill? What should I major in? Should I marry this person? Should we move? What school should I attend? I'm not saying that these questions are not important. But what I'm trying to say is they are not as critical to Christ 
as our living in freedom with him and enjoying the benefits of his freedom. And when you engage in freedom with Christ, the answer to those questions become more clear. We also oftentimes live our life with a sense of duty and an idea that we're trying to repay Christ even out of an attitude of gratitude for what he's done for us. But we can all know that living a life out of a sense of duty, right, is not freedom. It is just another form of bondage and slavery. I want to live a life, I want you to live a life where we have the opportunity to say, this is what I want to do. This is what I love to do. I do this because I'm compelled. I do this because I feel I want to serve others. Not because we feel like we have to, to earn something. Yet for many of us, there's a resistance to truly savoring freedom for fear of living selfishly or in the flesh more than the spirit. And yet in this passage by Paul to the Galatian church, we find Paul urging us to embrace freedom, to not only savor it, but to live in it fully. He asks us to stand firm in this freedom and to not be burdened by the yoke of slavery again. A little simple litmus test for you and me is if I'm living in freedom, am I asking myself, what am I concerned about? All these things I need to do or that I'm living freely in Christ as he wants me to live? And oftentimes we get bogged down by what we think we need to do, either a legalistic mindset or just a busy life mindset, rather than stopping and breathing in the freedom and relationship that Christ wants for us. It costs him everything. You may hear the saying, freedom is not free, but I'm telling you today, we're going to learn that freedom costs us nothing because it costs Christ everything. It costs him everything. And for that reason, we need to enjoy the freedom and savor the freedom that he's given to us. Our first main point today is that freedom is Christ with us. Freedom is Christ with us. And we're going to build upon this. As a school principal, I have multiple interactions with students throughout the day that are both positive and, well, sometimes maybe less positive. Oftentimes, all right, um, during these negative interactions, they're not really negative, they're just more of an opportunity for learning and growth, as we like to say, all right? But often, I'm called to a classroom where I'm visited by students in my office that need to take a break, calm down, talk it out, or maybe just gain some proper perspective on what's happening around them. Sometimes these students come voluntarily, while other times, they're persuaded by various means to come hang out in my office for a while. It's an interesting world in which to navigate. And many times these visits can quickly lead to a more positive demeanor and a malleable outlook on circumstances or expectations. However, sometimes they result in what I call a little bit more severe escalation that requires some creative means of reaching stability and serenity. Because we all just want serenity now, don't we? Oftentimes, these intense escalations in my office can become disheveled or messy. Things thrown on the floor, papers ripped up. I have games in my office, they get dumped out. A chair tipped over. Things can get messy in my office. Sometimes extremely messy, depending on the escalation, the trauma, the story, the background, the hurt of the child. Almost always, though, the escalation de-escalates, and we get to a point where, inevitably, it's time to clean up not just the room, 
but their attitude and their perspective. And as we get there, the inevitable question comes, as I'm looking at the mess and I'm telling them we need to clean up is, will you help me? Will you help me, Mr. H? Now, in that moment, I'm not always the happiest of person having walked through this little trauma and fit and things that we just went through. I, I can say no and demand that the student clean up the mess because he or she made the mess. That makes sense. And often if I do this, they will with some grumbling and slowness and with this heaviness of, ugh, this is my punishment. Or I can say, yeah, I'll help you. Let's see how quickly we can do this. And I get down out of my chair onto the floor and begin cleaning up a mess that I didn't even make. I wasn't even the one throwing a fit. I wasn't even the one upset. I wasn't even in the wrong. See, the first, no, you're going to clean this up, that's your punishment, is being done too. The other is me recognizing the need to restore relationship, so I'm going to do something with you. And there's a big difference in having something done to you than done with you. And I want you to keep that picture in your mind of me in my office, disheveled, getting down on the floor, cleaning up a room with a student while he or she engages in conversation for the end of relationship restored to go live in a way I know gives them peace and freedom. These two experiences are very different in our lives as well. Often we feel like we're cleaning up on our own, acting begrudgingly with the weight on our shoulders, and we can begin to move slowly, and oftentimes just get escalated again and angry, upset, frustrated with whatever it is. Because we are not acting in freedom. Because oftentimes the task of what we're asked to do is just too heavy, and there's too much guilt involved, and it gets to be a burden. However, in the second experience of me getting down on the floor is like Christ coming down to clean up with us. There's no sense of oppressive guilt or weight on us or the child. And inevitably, cleaning up the mess ends up with a hug or request at the end. Mr. H, can we play a game? And inevitably, Christ coming to help us with us inevitably leads, leads to a relationship of, hey God, can we talk? Because it's about relationship. The first was done under a yoke of slavery, basing it to him or to us. The second is done under the banner of freedom with him. And that is a unique, distinct clarity I want you to have today. Don't miss this nugget of truth, this point. The key to freedom is whether we have to do the work ourselves to escape punishment or whether our Father comes down to be with us and help us. Let me say that again. The key to freedom is whether we have to do the work ourselves to escape punishment or whether our God comes down to be with us and helps us. So I'm telling you, freedom is Christ with us. With us, not to us. There's a distinct difference there that I hope you understand. The next few verses will make it a little bit clear as we walk through these, all right? And so the next few verses of two through four show us how often we stay under this yoke of slavery without realizing it. And then verse five will conclude by giving us a way of how to stand in this freedom. So let's look at verses two through four. 
Galatians 2, 2 through 5, sorry, 5, 2 through 4. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now, as I said, if one is not read of all the Galatians to gain a full context of these verses, one may walk with a simplistic message of, oh, Paul is saying circumcision is wrong and displeases God. But non-circumcision is right and pleases God. So the point must be, don't give in to these people saying you need to be circumcised. And you're probably saying that's more, I've heard the word circumcision more today than I have in the last three years. And if that makes you uncomfortable, more so men in the room than others, I'm sorry. But what the circumcision is talking about here, it is a task, it is a ritual, it was a law of the time, of the day and age, that the Jews who converted to Christianity continued to try to live under some expectations of the Old Testament law and put that on new Christians. I just said a lot there. So let me make it simple. He came to usher in a new way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not have your neighbors follow the law. Not obey the law to earn my love. I grew up in a wonderful, independent, fundamental, Baptist, Bible-believing church. All right? I credit a lot of my knowledge of Scripture and my foundation in the Word to that church and what I grew up in and around. But I'm also telling you, with that church came a whole form of legalism. All right? It, it was very strict. You know, your hair couldn't be touching your ears if you were a boy, all right? They did not believe, um, you know, in sex before marriage because it could lead to dancing, all right? Some of you will get that on the way home because that's really a funny joke and you just aren't going to catch it yet, all right? You didn't listen to rock music because the beat of the drum was the devil's music. I could go on and on with, you always wore a shirt and tie to church because if you didn't, you weren't honoring God. You... You know, women could not wear pants. You had, there are all these things under the banner of a church that we thought we had to do to be a Christian. Now, maybe some of you have not grown up in that. But about halfway through my high school life, I encountered my friend Shane, firecracker boy, all right, <laughs> whose dad was a pastor of what I would call a Pentecostal church. And I began to get this contradiction that I thought was in my mind of the freedom that I saw Shane and his dad live in their family and their church and this weight of legalism at my church. And it messed me up for years. And there may be some of you in this audience that has messed it up for years. To the point that even now, all these years later, at the young age of 50, all right, I find myself still catching myself going, oh my gosh, if I didn't pray about that, God's not going to help if I don't do this. Oh, oh my goodness, I didn't get enough. To, oh, I didn't do that. Oh, I'm wearing shorts to preach in today. That's probably, not, oh my goodness, good thing I didn't put on the sandals. I'm pasty white, so I apologize if the reflection off my legs, all right, are like Garrett's, and I'm trying to get better than that. <laughs> See, somewhere in there, it's just got to be there once. Right. I didn't hear your cheer for me today, buddy. That kind of, no, right that's, down. that's right, there you go. <laughs> the point back to what I'm saying is this. All right? The point is what I'm saying is this. Paul is not talking about directly circumcision. He is more clear that avoiding sin and engaging in righteousness can be both become a yoke of slavery because one can be done to earn something that was freely given to us, our freedom. 
The fact that if we try to live under a set of rituals and rules and laws and behaviors because we think it's going to earn us something in Christ is putting on a yoke of slavery. The very thing that Christ came to break and move away from. It is not circumcision itself is wrong, but but that any act is wrong that we do to try to bribe God to give us more freedom or love. Or to pay back our debt, even if it's done with this attitude of gratitude. Circumcision just happened to be the main thing used by Judaizers who were teaching newly converted Galatians and how it was to be a believer. But I'm telling you today, what is it today in your life that you're trying to teach others or hold other others or judge others with on the way that they should be a believer? Again, freedom is not the right to live however you want. There's a holiness we're expected to do. But what are we putting over other people instead of letting us live in this banner of freedom that Christ ushered in for us? My next point is this. Freedom is free to us. Now I know we said freedom is not ever free. It costs somebody something. That's why we celebrate this country over and over what our military has done for us, for us to live in the freedom we have. It costs people something, a lot, their lives. For us, our freedom costs God, his son Jesus. He paid it all. But for us, freedom is free to us. It's freely given and we can't forget that. Let's go back to the beginning of Galatians where Paul started this whole letter that we're reading, and he's writing here. So Paul had just returned to Jerusalem with his his ministry partners, Barnabas and Titus. And here's what we read in Galatians 2, verses 3 through 5. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. The matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. What Paul is compelling us to do in Galatians 5.1 is stand firm, do not let yourself be burdened by the yoke of slavery. Don't let other believers or Christians persuade or deceive you that any outward act of obedience to Christ can earn you some reward or returned favor from God. I exhausted myself for years, friends thinking if I did X, Y, and Z, this would be the outcome. That is not how God operates. If he did, he would not be operating in freedom. He'd be operating as a banker that paid off a debt for us that we owe back to him with interest. That's not how it works. It's not freedom, it's slavery. And God emphasizes over and over again the gift of salvation when it comes to freedom. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Freedom is free to us because of what it cost Christ. If we examine Galatians 5, 2 more closely, all right, he is telling us Christ's profits are not yours if you try to earn them with your own investments. Why? Because that dishonors Christ it nullifies grace, and it moves, removes the need for the cross. We honor God, the cross, and his grace when we admit that we have no assets to invest. Even my best 
even my best, are pennies to an infinite amount of debt I owe my Lord. So there's nothing he expects from us. There's nothing he wants from us to try to earn or deserve the love and freedom that he's given us. It is free. And in that freedom, we have openness to relate to God how we feel in that moment. We don't need to come to him in a certain way, in a certain tone. We don't have to pray a certain way. We don't have to make our words cloaked in niceness with Jesus. No, because we're free. And we're free to be who we are with him. Jake and I often tease that uh, him and I have similar personalities. We're both very intense. I don't know if you know that about Jake at all. Very direct, very, you know, strong, authoritative in how he speaks. And I tend to be that way. And we're kind of like, well, is that, do we need to change that? And we're kind of like, well, that's just kind of how we are and how we are wired. The question is, when we go to Christ in that freedom, how does it come out to others? I, I remember a TV show. Do you guys remember the TV show Extreme Home Makeover with that radical, crazy guy, Ty Pennington? who kind of reminds me of Jake a little bit. Uh, we used to watch that show with our kids. It was this great show of where they found a family in need, this group of reality TV stars that were supposedly carpenters, designers, and all this would come in. They'd usher the family off for a week-long vacation to somewhere, and they'd rebuild a house or a home for this family. Beautiful, moving, it was kind, it was awesome. And then they'd come back and they'd tour these houses that were way too big for them sometimes with some crazy things in it. And it was just like, oh, people were crying, tears were flowing. It was just a feel-good show. How many remember that show? Years after that show was going on, some other stories started to come out. People that were given a new home ended up having to not be able to keep the home because taxes went up, utilities went up. There was upkeep on the house they couldn't afford. Um, others, all right, not so wisely, got a free house, turned around and got a home equity loan or mortgage on it that extended beyond, and now they were back in debt having to pay that. The point of this whole thing is this. The show gave people a free home. But even though it was a free home, there were things that came along with it that were unanticipated. And no matter how much that show or the company that did the show tried to help those families, some of the families moved themselves right back into debt or there's unanticipated things that came along that they were right back into this playing the game they were doing before. My point is this. When Christ does an extreme home makeover in our lives, there's nothing left. There's no unexpected debts. There's nothing else that's gonna come up because it's once and done, once and for all and you truly can walk away in freedom. And the only way you don't live in freedom is if you make a choice to go back and remortgage something that's already been paid off. Why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we take a freedom? Somebody pays off your credit card. I'm so excited. I'm not going to go charge a trip to Hawaii. We continually remortgage ourselves under Christ to try to pay back or show him our appreciation or do whatever when all he wants us to do is just live in the house. Barbecue with your friends. Hang out on the living room couch. Make a beautiful dinner in the kitchen. Play games at the table because I want to come down and sit with you and just enjoy the freedom. But we keep remortgaging our freedom to try to honor God or do something for God. And we can't do that. The next point I want to give you is that freedom 
depends on grace. Freedom depends on grace. The key to freedom is grace. We cannot do anything. The key to freedom is grace because if we don't have grace, we don't have freedom. Look at verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Again, the context. The Old Testament law was written to show how the Jews and other mankind, all right, how incapable they, they were of living a holy life and creating their own freedom from sin. It's an illustration for us as well. For this to be happen, it required the sacrifice of someone perfect on behalf of mankind. This was Jesus, whose death and resurrection ushered in true freedom for all by his grace. Jesus was, Jesus was crucified because he said, I am the Messiah. I am the Old Testament law in fruition. That was blasphemy to the Jews. That's why he was crucified, because he wanted to usher in the concept of grace. When we take upon ourselves the yoke of the law and aim to use it to achieve your own righteousness before God, you submit to a yoke of slavery and take away the power of the cross and what Jesus did for you. But what is grace? There's an old acronym. How many have heard the acronym for grace that is God's riches at Christ's expense? How many have heard that? It's been around for all. God's riches at cost Christ's expense. If we go back to that home analogy, while we're away for a week, people are putting, putting people are working hard to build this home at their expense and time. We come back and reap the benefits. That's grace. It's undeserved. It's unmerited on our part. But it costs God everything. Not anything can be done, but only Christ can do it for us. John Piper uses another acronym for grace. It's God's rescuing and caring exertion. God's rescuing and caring exertion. See, we don't have to carry the yoke. God has taken it off of us and put it on him. And every day, moment by moment, he is caring and rescuing us through the exertion that he gave us at the cross. You don't need to carry it anymore. You don't need to try to carry it. You don't need to come over and try to get on one end of the yoke and help him carry it. No, he's good for it. Paul states in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. See, Paul used to be a Pharisee. He knew how to work the law. He knew how to live a holy life. And yet even he says, look, I, worked out, I, I outworked all of you. And even that came to no fruition because it's all about grace. Go back to my office illustration. And me working with this lovely child that's just destroyed my office and I have nothing but love in my heart for them. <laughs> and I'm sitting there looking at this. Again, I can leave him or her to their own and threaten consequence if that office does not get done or cleaned up in a timely manner. I've even set the little timer before. Which isn't good to do somebody that's already angry. Just put that in your notebook. <laughs> It doesn't help to tell somebody it's angry to calm down either. That doesn't help either. Or I can get down on the floor and help the person, the child, turn the job into a fun way. I already told you, one way is being done to us, that's slavery. The other way is being done with us, that's freedom. The reason I bring this up again is this. We're going to make messes in our life. We're going to make mistakes. 
we're going to blow it. But all Christ wants from you is coming back to him and saying, will you help me clean up? Will you help me clean up? Christ goes, of course. I've already done it. Let's just clean up the mess. Because you're free. You're free. Now the last thing Paul challenges with is to stand firm in freedom. He closes with verse 5. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. First, we stand firm and live in freedom through the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this. When I say freedom is with us, Jesus and God literally sent the Holy Spirit down to live in us, to abide in us. So he is with us day to day. And we can only stay in freedom through the Holy Spirit. He does not stand distant and aloof, making demands of us. No, God came to us through the Holy Spirit to offer a life of joy and freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You have it in you every day. Second, we wait by faith. We are all waiting for that final day when we stand before Christ to share with him the account of our life. And we can either stand there as slaves or we can stand there as free men and women. And we can continue to live our days and life as slaves or as free men and women. It is possible and has happened that students refuse my help and begrudgingly clean up the mess. But when they do so, they are missing out on the opportunity for relationship and restoration. They're missing out on an opportunity to truly enjoy playing a game and getting to know each other. I would rather have the students I work with know that I care about them and there's nothing they can do to remove that care and that love, even if they mess up my office. Rather than thinking, I now owe Mr. H this and I have to fix it. If I don't do this, then he's going to stay mad at me. I don't think we're that distant in our own Christian beliefs of God sometimes. Because we abuse and we forget and we take advantage of what true freedom is. Freedom in Christ is two sides of a coin. On one side is the sovereign, gracious work of God in us and for us day by day. Him coming down to earth and turning obedience into freedom. The other side of the coin is our faith, a life of joyful reliance on what God does for us, not what he can do, not what we can do for him. It is a life that is distinctively different than the world because of grace. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Maybe you've made a mess. Maybe you've been trying to clean up all your messes on your own. Maybe it's time you just turn and look at the principle of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and say, will you help me? Then and only then will you enjoy living, not under the yoke of expectations and legalism and demands that you place on yourself, but living under the freedom and relationship of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is his greatest will for you. Let's pray.